going to be looking at Colossians 1 in just a little bit, that passage that was read for us earlier by EJ. Again, that's page 983. First, let's pray. Father, we praise you for this beautiful morning, and we ask that you would please come now, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would hear from you, that we would behold you more, that we would know what it means to follow you more. Lord, speak now through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I know at least a couple of you are new this morning. I just met some of you as you walked in the door minutes ago. And if you are new, you should know that over the last several months since I first got here in November, we've been going through different parts of the Bible in our sermon series and seeing what might God have to say to us about who he is in life today. And, and that started out um, first with us looking at John's gospel. And we were looking at questions that Jesus asked people in John's gospel. After that, we got into Proverbs. And you might remember that we were looking at the theme of friendship and seeing what Proverbs had to say about how to be wise in our friendships. And for the next couple of weeks, starting today, we're going to be going week by week through one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, specifically the book of Colossians. Now, some of you might be wondering why Colossians, and one of the reasons you need to know is Colossians is a great book to follow up, particularly after a Sunday like Easter Sunday. If you were here last week with us for Easter, it was a great day, and you might remember that we saw how Jesus' resurrection isn't just a, a small part of his life. It's a huge part of his life. Um, it's, it's not something you can take or leave it. I was thinking about this this week. It's not like, um, if you like Chick-fil-A milkshakes, it's not like every time they'll ask you whether or not you want whipped cream and a cherry on top, and, and you can say yes or no. It's not just something that's nice as a garnish. Everyone gets a milkshake because they're incredible. And the resurrection is essential to Jesus' life. It's not something that we take or leave it. And we said if you take the resurrection out of his story, that it doesn't just change the meaning of Jesus' story. It changes everything. It changes the meaning of Christianity. And, and if you take it out, it removes every basis that we have for Christian hope as we think about life after death. But the question I want to begin for us to take up this morning as we continue uh, into the weeks to come, is if we have that hope for then, and if we can hope for life beyond our death, what about life now? You know, what's life supposed to look like now? We know, as Paul says in Romans 6, that yes, we have um, died with Christ. We will also be raised with Christ. But what does that look practically like today? We're going to find out the answer to that today, or starting this week, in the book of Colossians. And one of the reasons is, is because when you look at the book of Colossians, you can argue that the, the theme of it is essentially the main theme of the Christian life. And that is what Paul calls growing in maturity in Christ. So if you look at what the commentators have to say about the book of Colossians, they, they almost universally agree that it can be summed up. The message of the book in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, a lot of you know these verses. I'll read it. Therefore, Paul says, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So in other words, as Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, now that you've begun following him, continue following him, press into him. 
But again, what does that actually look like? That's, that's the question that we're going to take up in the weeks to come as we go together through this book. Today, as we think more about this idea of maturing in Christ, we're going to take up the question of where does that, that journey of Christian maturity actually start? Because one of the things that you see if you read the New Testament is that over time, as we follow Jesus and as we grow and grow, in the years to come, we're, we're supposed to be able to look back and see that we, we are a, a totally different person than the person we started out as. And let, let me just give an example of that. Some of you have had the experience where you stumbled upon an old box of pictures from when you were a lot younger. Uh, maybe it was clearing out your, your parents' uh, basement or attic, and you find that box, and you open it up, and you, you pull out a picture, and you look at it, and, and you kind of laugh, and you sigh, don't you? Some of you, you look at it and go, wow, I can't believe what I did with my hair that long ago. Some of you men are, men are wondering, I can't remember I had that much hair that long ago. You think about who you are today, and you laugh. And why do you laugh? Because you look back at that person, and you remember, I was such a different person back then. I was so overconfident. Or maybe, maybe I was so naive. You know, I, I didn't know who I was. You're a totally different person now. But, and life has changed because simply, honestly, you've just got a lot more experience under your belt. You, you've lived life and you've grown. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about the nature of the Christian life. Christians are so, supposed to grow so much in our relationship with God that years later we can look back on our life and you say to ourselves, you know what, I'm a, I'm a totally different person now. I was a Christian then, and I'd, I'd grown a good bit then, but I've continued growing today. Where's that maturity start? That's, again, the question that we're going to take up today. And today we're going to see that it starts as we look at this passage, specifically verses 3 through 8, and and with two interconnected and related things. We're going to look at the hope in Christ that Paul says that we should have, and then secondly, we're going to look at the gospel of Christ. That's what had happened in this church in Colossae. Paul, Paul looked at this group of people and said, something has happened in you. Something has gone on in you that is so big and so huge that you are entirely different people. We're going to think more about what that looks like and what does that have to mean for our lives so first, let's look at that hope in Christ that Paul talks about in these verses. Just a quick refresher for those of you who are looking at this book for the first time. Uh, Colossians was written by, again, Paul the Apostle and Timothy. We believe most likely um, Timothy transcribed it for Paul. And if you look at verses 3 through 4, it, it, it starts out by Paul saying that every time that they pray for the Colossians, they're thanking God for them. Every time that they pray, and did you notice they're thanking God specifically for two things, all because of the hope that they have in Jesus. Look at, verses, at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So one, they're thankful for the Colossians' faith. And two, they're thankful for the love that the Colossians have for, for the saints, for everyone else in their Christian community, for all the other followers of Jesus. Now, the question we kind of want to pause and ask for a second is, why would Paul feel so grateful 
and Timothy, that every time that they're praying for the Colossians and they think of these things, um, they can't help but give thanks to God. And the answer is this, is Paul knows that to feel this way, to have faith in Jesus and to love other people with the love that Jesus has shown us is not something that comes naturally in any, any of us. This is a supernatural work. And if, if you know anything about Paul's life, you know that he knew this firsthand. Okay, so, so Paul did not start out his life with faith in Jesus, did he? Paul hated Christians, if you remember his life. Some of you remember um, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says that he's present there when Stephen is uh, stoned to death. It says he gave his approval for that to happen. Some of you remember that it goes on in verse 3 in chapter 8 in Acts to say that Paul was, he uses the word in the ESV, he was ravaging the church. So Paul is this guy that's going door to door to people's homes. He's dragging the Christian men and women out of their homes and he's throwing them in jail. Paul was not exactly a, a Christian's best friend. But the crazy thing about this is this is the same guy who, because of this experience that he has with God, and specifically for Paul, it's different for every one of us. For Paul, it was on the Damascus Road. Not only was he given the gift of faith, and as you know, if you've read Philippians, faith to the extent that he said he would rather die and get to be with Jesus and be in the presence of Jesus. Not only did that happen, but this guy that approved the execution from someone else and was dragging or approving of people being dragged out of Christian homes, goes on to write the words about love that most of us would probably identify as the most writings, most famous writings about it. Some of you know this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not empty or boast. Love never ends. Most of us have all heard those words when we've been to a wedding. Remember next time you're sitting at a wedding and, and you're watching two people commit themselves to the kind of love that Jesus talked about. Remember that the man that wrote these words was someone that originally gave the thumbs up for a Christian to get stoned to death. That's who wrote this. But God had done something in his life. God had intervened in Paul's life. It, it was a supernatural work. If there's anyone that knew firsthand that a love for Jesus and the love for other people was something that only came from God. It was Paul. And that's why he's grateful. And if you're here this morning and you happen to have faith in Jesus, the Bible similarly says it can only be because of what God's done in your life. Okay, you might have been raised in a Christian home, but the faith that you have in him is only something because of that God's done. For some of us, this is admittedly a little bit more subtle. Okay, for for. For some of us, we grew up in the church. Um, we, we've always, our, our parents took us to church. We've always identified as a Christian. And yet something happened to us when we got older in which um, we had some sort of a new awakening of faith um, through a friend, uh, through maybe some sort of a speaker, through something that we read. We, again, had always grown up in the church, and yet we started to know Jesus in a new way. Not all of us uh, have had that experience. You know, I was thinking recently, I heard um, our senior warden, Ricky, share about his testimony not that long ago. And I, I'm, I'm so encouraged when I hear Ricky say, you know what, I knew that I wasn't a Christian before I became a Christian. Like, I, I wasn't um, under any false impressions. I, I knew very well that I did not believe in Jesus. But what happened? God did something in Ricky's life. 
I'm really grateful that he did something Ricky's life because he's a great service to us and a help to me in our church family. The ability to believe in Jesus, the, the ability to love other people as Jesus has loved us, both of these things, as verse 5 says, are because of what's happened for us in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ. And they're only possible because of God. So, so that's one place where this journey of maturing in Jesus starts. It starts with having the hope we have in Christ. But secondly, we're also going to see in just a second as we go on in these verses, it starts with the gospel of Christ. And this is a really interesting thing I was reflecting on as I was reading about this. It is one thing to know that God's done something in you, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's one thing to know that he's changed you, um, that he's done something in your heart. He's making you love him a new way. He's making you love other people a new way. It's an entirely different thing to realize that you have been swept up into a, a bigger thing that God's doing in the world that is totally outside of you as well, and it is way, way bigger than you. And that's what Paul says is going on in the gospel as he starts in verse 5. Let's, let's look at this together as Paul connects what's been going on with the, uh, the church uh, in Colossae and also what God's doing in the world. This is midway through 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it, it understood the grace of God and truth. So let's just stop right there for a second. Notice what Paul's doing again. Paul's Paul's gone from talking about the transformation that the Colossians have had because of Jesus, this new faith and this new love. And then what he does is through the gospel, through their hearing about Jesus, he connects them to the broader work of what's going on in Christianity around the world. And notice, as Christianity has been spreading around the world, the gospel's doing two things. Did you see that in those verses? One, he says that it's bearing fruit. The gospel's bearing fruit wherever wherever it goes, what does that mean? At the very least, we've seen already, it's changing people. It changed Paul. It has changed any of us in here that's put our faith in him. It's, it's changed the way that we, again, love God. It's, it's done something different in our relationships with the people that are around us, the people that we're closest to, the strangers that are around us. That's essentially what we've read about so far in verse 4, as we've been given a new faith and a new love. And it's what happens with the gospel. The gospel doesn't show up to places and leave a light footprint. It, it goes places and things start to change. People start to change. Groups of people start to change. Friendships, marriages, um, church families. That's what it does. So the gospel's bearing fruit. And then did you see in verse 6, it also says that it's growing. It's bearing fruit. Some of y'all have translations that say it's, it's increasing. So, so pause and think about just this for just a second. Generally speaking, it's estimated that when Paul and Timothy wrote this, when they wrote Colossians, it's about 30 years after Jesus has lived and after he's died and has been raised from the dead. And already they knew that Christianity has been spreading like wildfire. And so it's been going all over the place. It's gone to Syria. It's gone to Italy. It's gone to parts of Northern Africa to Egypt, to modern-day Persia, to Greece. Just in a couple decades, the gospel's already gone everywhere because that's what it does. It, it goes, 
and then it grows, and it grows exponentially. I want to pause for a second and, and just think about this in the life of a person. Um, some of you have heard the story about Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary. Okay, he was a, a missionary to the people that were living at the time, what was called Burma or modern-day Myanmar. Um, Judson gave his life to Myanmar and trying to take the gospel there. And, and you might know that in 1813, when Adoniram Judson was just 24 years old, he was in the process of moving his family there that he might give a light, his life away there. And he, he stumbled into William Carey. Some of y'all know that name. He was the British missionary to India. Carey tried to convince Judson not to go there because the prospects for the gospel were not good there. The missionaries that were there that by and large had... I, either basically left or they had died. But Judson still went. Judson went. If you know anything about his life, he had a lot, a lot of suffering. He lost family members. Um, he went through a lot of pain, a lot of anguish uh, when the, a war broke out and he was arrested as being a, a traitor and an aide to the enemy. But here's, here's the crazy thing. 200 years later, after Adam Judson's life. Remember that when he went over there, there were basically no Christians. 200 years later, there are over 3 million Christians living in Myanmar. 3 million. Essentially because one person said, I'm going to give my life for the gospel. And I'm going to give it among these people. And the question that we need to ask is, I mean, anyone in business is going to go zero to 3 million. That's pretty good. How did that happen? You know, what strategies can we implement that Judson crafted really well? We should ask, was it anything about Judson? Was it, was it because Judson was a really gifted speaker that it, the message went to three million people? You know, was it because Judson had a great pitch or he really knew how to pull him in at the end of his sermons? I want to suggest Judson should be accepted as a hero for all of us. And at the same time, I think if he were here, he'd be the first person to say, it was not because the power of Adoniram Judson. It was because the power of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. It goes and it bears fruit and it spreads. So what I want to do now is I just want to pause and, and step back from this for a second and look at what we've been thinking about in verses three through six and, and kind of summarize Paul says to the Colossians, because you're Christians, again, you've, you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you know you're a totally different person. But remember, this isn't just about you all. What, what has taken place in you all is part of a movement and a global thing that God is doing everywhere and around the world. And he's continuing to do it today. The journey of maturing in Jesus, Paul says, starts with every one of us getting caught up in something that is far, far bigger than us. And when that happens, God starts to bear fruit. God never does that and does not bear fruit in the lives of people. But he starts to change us. And so, so what I want to do now as we wrap up is I, I just want to conclude with a thought or two. You know, I was sitting with these verses and thinking, okay, what this shows us a lot about God and a lot about our lives. How does that actually change my day, my week, what things look like for me at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning? And, and these are some of the things that struck me. The focus of 3-3 is very much about the gospel. So not only spreading around the world, but as this 
book goes on, the, the, the focus about pressing into maturity in Christ. And as we do that, remember, Paul's framing what's gone on as the starting point of the Christian life. This is just the beginning. What's taken place in the Colossians, that's just the very start. Why does that matter, you might ask? The reason that this matters, and this might not be the case for all of us, but the reason that this matters for some of us is because some of us come from traditions where there has been a great value and, and premium placed on evangelism and placed on discipleship. But the moment that someone starts believing and they profess faith in Christ, we kind of don't talk much about what it looks like to mature in Christ anymore. We just seem, kind of seem to move on. And, and from this perspective, it's easy for Christianity to maybe be misunderstood as something that is exclusively about our salvation. And don't get me wrong, I'm a pastor. Salvation is a great thing. We give thanks to God for our salvation. But what we're going to see in the weeks to come as we press more into Colossians is according to Paul, God's desire is not just that we have faith in him or that we place our faith in him originally, but that we also grow in him. Or to go back to chapter two, as you might remember, it says to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. In other words, Christianity, friends, it's not just about conversion. It is equally about conformity to Christ. It's about becoming more like Jesus. And one of the reasons that this matters is because when we know this, what this really helps us do is shape our expectations that we have about what the Christian life might look like. And here's what I mean by that. If the Christian life is mostly about us praying a prayer and now um, being in church every week or as, as often as we can, both of which are, are great things, if it's mainly about those things, isn't it possible that we can get confused when life doesn't necessarily go as we plan for it to go, doesn't it? We, we might know that God loves us. We might thank God that he loved us enough that he would give us his son. But then we start to get frustrated when life, go, when life doesn't go our way. When something bad for us happens professionally, when, when something doesn't go the way that we necessarily thought it was going to go, when things are hard for us relationally, if you've got a friendship that's gone awry, if, if you're here today and you're married and, and marriage hasn't necessarily been a utopia for you and your spouse, but it's going a little rockier than, than you would hope it would go. When you get diagnosed with an unexpected illness, when your kids don't get into the school that you were hoping they would get into or the college that you'd always hope they would get into, I can't speak for you, but if I, I know for myself, if God were to say, Brian, how do you want life to look? I would prefer and plan out a course of my life in which life, in the Christian life, looked pretty convenient. It looked pretty smooth. All my relationships would go really well. Work would go really well. And it would be free from a lot of heartache. But one of the things that we're being reminded here by Paul is that the Christian life is not about convenience. That, that one of God's greatest desires for us is being conformed, conformed to the image of Jesus. And here's the reason that that matters. If, if the Christian life for me is only about myself being rescued by God and then going, out, going on about my life as if nothing else is really different, God doesn't get much glory from my life, does he? It's, it's a nice thing when I profess faith, but there's really not much just a brief story. But it is an entirely different thing when that becomes the starting point of a journey that God puts us on in which all of us are growing 
into greater conformity with Jesus. And I want to suggest this morning, that's not just for us individually. My prayer is, and I pray that you would join me in this, that that's our prayer for us as a church family. He said, I already know that we are a people in which the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Um, That was very um, palpable when Laura and I first visited last year. That's, That's why we want to come here. But my prayer is that that would be going on for us in such a way that let's say 20 years from now, let's say we were to, um, coming up as we celebrate St. Peter's Sunday and months to come, we took a picture of our church family. If we stumbled upon some box downstairs in some closet and we opened it up and we found there were a bunch of pictures and if we were to pull it out and we were to look at that picture of our church family 30 years from now, we would look at that and we would sigh and we would to smile and say, you know what? That was a great season in our life together as a church, but God has done so much more in us since then because he has been bearing fruit in us and he's been growing through us. Let's pray that he might show us what that looks like in the weeks to come as we press further in Colossians. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you First, we, pray for, we praise you for men and women in the faith that give thanks as they pray for us and what you're doing among us. Lord, and we pray for what you did in the Colossians. We praise you for what you've done in us. Lord, and we ask that in the weeks to come, you would teach us more about what does it mean to look more and more like Jesus? What does it mean to grow in our love for you? What does it mean to grow in our obedience to you? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.